0: Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. I normally have a text I read, I will say, turn to a certain chapter, but this one's going to be a little different. I guess I could go to, uh, I'll quote it for you, Joel chapter 2, 28, 29, Acts 2, 16, 17, where God informed us that in the last days He would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And He says this, that sons and daughters will prophesy, Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. I've had about five absolute full-color, three-dimensional visions in my life. And when I turned about 55, I started dreaming. So I didn't know if God was telling me I was getting older. (laughs) Because I don't have the visions, but I do have spiritual dreams. Now, several years ago, I I think this is one of the most significant visions that I ever heard in my life. Uh, I don't usually get up and talk about other people's visions, which they've had, unless we absolutely know them personally. We know their integrity. We know that they hear from God. But I was in Florida in the Land Church of God many years ago, and I met a young man, and the young man went to the church, attended the church. The pastor confirmed his story, and he said to me, he said, when I was about seven years of age, I was run over by a car, and they left me. They said I was going to die. And he said, during that time where I was in, in, in the process of near death, of course, he said I lived But he said, I saw something that I have never forgot in detail. As a boy, the Lord showed me a vision of the very time of the end as it relates to the church. And when this young man stood there and told me, I made him tell me once. I made him tell me twice. I wrote it down and I have never forgot it. Are you ready for this? I have never forgot it in 30 years. It burns in me today and I see it happening in the church right now. I didn't see it as much years ago over the years, but I want you to track with me as I share with you the vision that Jesus gave him after he'd been run over and came actually came back from the dead, you might say, about the time of the end. He said to me, he said, suddenly I was standing and I, I saw this most beautiful grain field he said it almost, instead of having a gold color, it almost had a beautiful blue hue to it that may have been the reflection coming out of a, almost a sapphire-looking sky. He said it was like it was bright, the sun was shining, it was beautiful out, uh, the people seemed happy. And he said that in this field, he could see an army marching, and it was the army of the Lord. It was the church. He said there was not one denomination, they were many denominations, they were from different nations. You could tell that it was the body of Christ as far as a, a picture of the body. Now, I knew the Bible, and I knew he did too. But immediately I thought, okay, in the parables, the field is the world. So here we have a parable of a field, a field with grain. It had beautiful grain and it. it. said the grain was very high. The grain was beginning to turn ripe. The army is marching through the field. They're, and he said they're united together. They seemed to be very happy and very joyful together. And he said, suddenly, something strange began to happen. He said, over in the atmosphere of this blue, beautiful blue sky, I saw the corners beginning to darken in the sky. He said, the atmosphere above the army of God was beginning to shift. Suddenly, the light became a little dim in the atmosphere. But he said, here's the part that really got to me. All of a sudden, I saw what looked like the largest vultures that you've ever seen in your life. And they start coming from different directions. And he says, I look, and here comes one this way. And I look, and there comes one in that. And then the next thing you know, the entire air is, is beginning to get darkened. From this, The blue is beginning to vanish. The, the light's beginning to vanish. Darkness is beginning to come. And when he said that, immediately I go to the book of Isaiah that talks about darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness to people. I'm saying, you know, I don't know if he knows these verses, but he's saying biblical things. Then he talked about the birds. These vultures had something in their in their claws. Uh, you know, uh, we call the eagle having the talons, but, but the, the, these vultures, they had something. They were holding on to something. He said some of them, it was a very small object. Others, others of them, it was a very large object. And when he talked about the birds having something in uh, it, grabbing a hold of something, as they're flying in the atmosphere over the field and over the army. My thought went to Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, there's the parable of the sower sowing the word. Matthew 13, I think, also talks about this as well. And in the parable, if you'll go and read it, it talks about when the sower sows the word. Now, don't miss this. The birds of the air come and try to steal the word. I saw this in Israel many years ago. We were there, and they were they were planting the fields. They had just farmed a large field right below the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus traditionally preached the Sermon on the Mount. And it was the weirdest thing because as they plowed the field, I, there were, look, I don't, I'm not talking 10, 20, 30, 50. I'm talking about 100 birds, and they were going down in that ground, and it's like they were trying to pull up things in that ground. And then I looked over on the other side, same field, right over on the hill, there's these huge basalt volcanic stones. Then I look right in front of me, and there's several of these stones on that mountain where Jesus preached. And you know what I saw? I saw thorny looking bushes growing up beside those rocks. I said, oh my goodness, Jesus is preaching on the parable of a sower. I'm seeing exactly what he saw. There's the guy planting the field, There are the birds coming to steal the seed. That's what he said. The birds swoop down to steal the seed. Then he says, some falls on stony ground. That whole area is full of volcanic rock. You can't walk there without rock, 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 rock. you got to get the rock out of the ground in order to plant the seed. Mm. And then I saw those thorn bushes coming up between those. It was just these bushes that were just ugly like weeds, and they had real prickly thorns on them. And I'm thinking, this, Lord Jesus, this is so wild. I'm standing here where you preached. I'm standing here where you told those stories, and I see exactly when he said, and the so they sowed on stony ground, that audience it was outdoors, it wasn't in a synagogue, and they all were sitting on those stones, and the thorns came and choked the word as it would tried to grow up. but the point I want to make is those birds because Jesus later said, watch this, that the birds were demon spirits, and I knew I knew when he said the dark vultures. And what they had, they, they didn't represent literal birds. They represented evil spirits that were going to be sent with something, and they were going to carry something into the field. So, you know, needless to say by now, as the, and again, I made him tell me this one time, the next day I wrote it down, the third day, et cetera, because I wanted to make sure I got it right. Now, here's what happened. the These vulture-looking birds would swoop down in the field right above somebody's head, and they start dropping different things in the field. And he said, what was strange about this was they were dropping things that at time, it was open enough that if you're walking, you could see it. And he said, at other times, it was kind of concealed where you didn't really see it. And he said, these these were the things that began to happen. He said, there were three things happening with the vultures and with the field. Pay attention carefully. He said, number one, the vultures were planting tares in the field, all right? And I'll talk about that in just a moment. He said number two. Now, this is real important. You hear this. I'm going to talk about this in a moment. There were stones like rocks in their, in their, in their claws, and it had people's names on it with a problem. It may say, I'm going to just use my name, stone, addiction. It may say Smith, uh, pornography. And it had all kinds of things that people would struggle with. Now, watch what they would do. They would see that person and target that person and take that stone. Oh, help me now. Which was a stumbling block. That's what Jesus told him. See, the stones were stumbling blocks. And they would drop it in the field hoping that the person with that name that that was specifically for would not see it and would walk through that field or march through that field and stumble over it. And I said, well, what was the whole goal of stumbling over it? He said, to hurt themselves They would stumble and fall a certain way, and they would grab their hip. They'd fall a certain way, and they'd grab their knee or they'd hold their ankle, and they started limping. And he said the problem was that when they were hit with the stumbling blocks and stumbling stones, some of them had shields, to watch, and they'd lay their shield of faith down. They'd lay their shield down that no longer protected them from what was happening in the spiritual atmosphere to focus on the wound that they had. All right, let me just, I'm going to preach this through as we interpret it. What happens in the church is the enemy's number one attack right now, and I want everybody to hear this, is to get you offended at someone in the church to get you offended at pastor, get get offended at something with the building or something that's going on here. They, they didn't park me where I like to park, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. And suddenly, watch this, you become offended. Then as you begin to talk about your offense to other people, some people will say to you, you're wrong, and then you get double offended. And all of a sudden, you get such an offense. Now, Pay attention to this, that it leads to a wound. Now, what you do now is instead of focusing upon faith and worship and the anointing and the presence of God and having the joy of the Lord, what are you focusing on? They hurt me. They've offended me. I'm never going back to that church. So the enemy succeeded in putting a stumbling block called offense. Offense is a stumbling block. And he succeeded and put a stumbling block with your name on it. And instead of you watch this, seeing it and said, I'm not going that way. Excuse me. And stepping right over that situation. Is anybody tracking with me? And, and then you see another one saying, I'm not going there. That's ridiculous. You're not going to put me in that trap. You're not going to, devil, you're not going to make me go there. You're not going to make me talk bad about my brothers and sisters. You're not going to make me repeat gossip that somebody's talking talking. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and preach this right here. Because I found out back east, all those old-time Pentecostals, you know what? They don't sin much. They really don't. You know, they don't sin much, but there's two things they like to do. They love to eat and they love to talk. And they'll go out to a restaurant during a conference instead of edifying Jesus. Man, wasn't that great? Did you see the Holy Ghost? Did you hear about Brother So-and-So? Did you hear about having Brother? Did you hear about Sister So-and-So? Isn't that, isn't that awful? I, I know I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I feel like I want to tell you so you'll pray about it. Phooey. That's not why you're talking. You're talking to run your mouth. You ain't talking that somebody's going to pray. With me? Are you still here? Now, so the stones were to treat, trip people up, had their name, some of them had their name on it, had the problem on it. So instead of, instead of stepping over it, which you should step over that, you should ignore that, you should just move on. They tripped, got hurt, got bruised, got wounded and focused on their wound, when they focused on themselves and their wound, what they do? They laid their armor down. What happens in Ephesians 6 if you take off the helmet of salvation? Guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna have mental attacks. What happens when you lay down your shield of faith? Guess what's gonna happen? Your heart is gonna be hit with unbelief and doubt. The enemy will start just making you doubt everything, making you feel like God doesn't love you, make you feel like God doesn't care. It's an assault of the enemy because you're shielded. What about the breastplate of righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. It covers the heart. It covers that heart. What about it when unrighteousness comes into your heart? Why did it do it? It's because you did not have on the breastplate of righteousness. Come on, somebody say praise God if you believe what I'm saying right now. Now, here's the third thing, and this is important. I'll elaborate on this in a moment. He said the other... Another thing I noticed now they they were they were throwing tear like seeds of tares to make tares grow, and he said, he said, I'm telling you, when they planted it, it grew fast. It wasn't like three months, six months. It was like they planted a tear. bam, here comes a tear. bam, there's a tear right in the path of the person. Second thing is these rocks with the name and the problem on it right in front of the person, some seen, some unseen. The third one was missiles, and I said, now, what do you mean by missiles? He said it was like a missile, just like you see uh, in the military, and some of these uh, vultures had missiles that were so big that both of their their ta- do, do, can we say, ta- how do you say it? talents talents yeah and or we we week, back you know Tennessee we just call them claws because that's you know bird claws but they had they had these missiles that were so large that sometimes there would be a little one in one and they're flying. Or sometimes it would be this real big one. And he said, what began to happen is at times they would begin to drop those in front of the person and it would explode. That, that missile would explode in front of the person and then they were burnt. Are you listening? We call this the fiery dart of the enemy. They would get burnt. Have you ever, anybody, have you ever heard anybody say, I'm just burnt out? What does that mean? That means that emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, they've had it up to here. They can't take much more. They want to go away and get away because you can burn yourself out. Good people. You listen somebody. Good people who love the Lord, who are filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I prove it? Can I give you one example from the Bible? The kid didn't say this to me. This is Perry preaching now, not the kid. Are you ready? Good example from the Bible is the prophet Elijah. Elijah the prophet is so anointed by the Holy Spirit, he can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Watch the, watch the process. He, it, has not, it has not rained in three and a half years. There has been a drought. He now knows he's going to prophesy rain, and it's going to happen, but before he does, he goes on top of Mount Carmel. Now, now, look, we take a tour bus up there. I looked at Mount Carmel one day and said, you mean to tell me they didn't have a tour bus? <laughs> and they had to walk up this thing? Bro, let me tell you, you're going to have to have muscles and strength and energy to walk to the top of Mount Carmel. Now, now pay it, this is important. Pay attention to it. He gets up there, and he cha- is challenged by 400 prophets of the Baal, of Baal and 450 prophets of the grove. Total, 850 Now, let's just let's just use the number that there's 500 people in this room tonight. Now, imagine this, all of you people against Perry Stone and add another 300 to that. Imagine what that felt like to be so outnumbered. I said, Lord, that poor man was outnumbered. And the Lord spoke to me and said, no, he wasn't because one man with me is a majority any day. Wow, that's a revelation. So now now he goes up there, he's by him, he's pretty much challenging. One man is challenging 850. Then the the false prophets of Baal, I'm going to teach you something you don't know. The false prophets of Baal go and build an altar, hoop and holler and shout, right? Trying to call fire down, nothing happens. Two things you need to know. The prophet makes fun of them so bad that he says, is Baal pursuing somewhere? Check out the Hebrew in that. Is, is Bell gone to the bathroom? He, I mean, look, he's like mocking these people unmercifully. Hey, is he taking a leak? Gone to the bathroom, having problems? I mean, this, it, Elijah, he's, he's raw, man. He's hardcore, all right? So he's mocking him, and then Elijah does something strange. And I heard a prof, uh, teacher in Blacksburg, Virginia in 1980 explain this. He said, do you want to know why Elijah dug a trench? He dug a trench. Then he pours water on the sacrifice, and it drains in the tr- trench. Remember that? And he does it again. He says, bring more water. And they're bringing it from the, the brook. The brook Kishon is, is just below the mountain. So that's, even though there was a drought, there was still some water in the brook. Now watch. <laughs> why did he do it? Because, according to research, the prophets of Baal were known for building their own altars, and then they would have somebody underneath that altar with a fire burning. They, made, they built a tunnel, and they could catch the, 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 like if you had hay there, they could, oh, yeah, 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 and all of a sudden the hay would start burning. And that's how they got their followers thinking that Baal was, because he was a weather god, was answering by fire. That's why Elijah challenged them, let the god that answers by fire, because Elijah didn't let them go to their mountain where their tunnel was. He took them to his prayer mountain. And so the reason that he did the trench with the water is because if there'd have been a hole there for someone to just kind of blow some smoke, so to speak, up there, then, then, then the water would have gone into the hole, and he'd have said, "Oh, you're just doing what, you know, you're, you're faking it." But it, whoa. But when the fire of God fell, it consumed the rock and the water and everything. Baal is in trouble. Now he has the false prophets slain. Keep tracking with me. Same day. He then tells, says, sends word to Ahab, get up to Jezreel. There's the sound of the abundance of rain. He runs, watch this. He outruns the horses of Ahab and his chariots. Ahab the king has is anybody enjoying this besides me? Now just stay with me. We'll get back to this vision in a minute. Ahab has the fastest horse in the country. A horse, I've been told, can run at its peak at 37 miles per hour at full speed. Now that may be right, that may be wrong. Maybe you're. You've raised horses, maybe you know exactly, but I was told that. So Elijah is running at least 38 miles an hour. You wonder, kids, if you wonder how that fast is, how fast that is, get get let your parents or you drive the car next time and get where the speed limit is 55 and just for a second, go 38 miles an hour and picture Elijah running beside you. That's incredible. Now it doesn't end there, ready? It does not end there. He goes to Jezreel, and Jezebel threatens to behead him. He had just beheaded the false prophets. She'd been beheading the prophets, and she put him on the hit list. He became a target. She said, you go tell that prophet that very soon I'll have his head like I had the rest of them. Now, this is interesting. He could have walked up to that woman and said, Hey, Jezzy, come on out on the balcony. I will show you some fire. Could he not? He just did it. He just did it in front of 850 people. But all of a sudden, he starts losing heart. There's a reason. And then he says, I got to get out of here. She going to kill me. I mean, it's crazy. Then he goes 118 miles. I track this out to Mount Horeb, sits under a juniper tree, and says to God, kill me. It's in your Bible. Kill me. Now, something do not make sense here. Because if he really wanted to die, just go hang out with Jezzy because you're going to be dead before the sun comes up because she's going to put your head on a platter like they did John the Baptist. She's going to kill you. But see, he was such a proud prophet. He didn't want anybody ever saying, you know, that woman killed that man. That woman killed that prophet. Well, how crazy? Why didn't he run? Why didn't he? So he didn't want it. He didn't. He wanted God to kill him. You better thank God. He don't always answer your prayers. I mean, you know, if somebody's driving the car and they kind of push you over and you, you say, I tell you one thing, that, that that man's an idiot, that man's stupid, he's gonna crash, he just go, and all of a sudden, oh my god, look at it, he just crashed. Wouldn't it be bad if God answered every prayer of ours? Look, you know it, I know it. Somewhere in your life, you got so depressed, you just you just said, God, I just wish you'd take me, right? You just got you got tired of life. Anybody anybody know what I'm talking about? I ain't talking about suicide. I'm just talking about you got tired of life and said, Lord, I, I'm done. I, I'm done with it. And aren't you glad God didn't say, okay. Imagine how many premature deaths there would have been if God would. Hello. That means come on. How many premature deaths there would have been if God had answered our prayer every time when you looked at your kid and you got a bad husband, you got a sorry husband, you kept saying you're going to end up like your dad. You better be glad God didn't answer that prayer. I'm trying to help somebody in this house tonight if you (laughs) listen. Now, watch this. He wants to die under a juniper tree, and what God did, God fed him and put him in a cleft of the rock. Can I go a little bit deeper with this? Will you let me? Where's all five of you going to stay with me when I go deeper than this? We're going to go deeper for just a minute. We'll come back. We're going to go deeper. you got to hear this. Do you know what was wrong with the guy? Ready? He was totally burnt out. He climbed a mountain, built an altar, called the fire down, killed 850 prophets, ran to the city of Jezreel, outrunning the horses of Ahab, went on a 117, 18-mile journey, sat up under a juniper tree wanting to die. The man was completely fried. He was fried emotionally. He was fried spiritually. He was fried physically. Imagine they, they didn't have buses. They didn't fly down there. He's walking in the heat. And let me, let me just say something to you. When you have the enemy coming against you, I'm going to go back to what I'm about to tell you. Daniel 7.25 talks about the spirit of Antichrist, and it says he shall wear out the saints of the Most High God. The biggest battle that a lot of you are going to fight in the time of the end, and I'll, I'll come off of this and get right back to it in a minute, is going to be the spirit of weariness. Now, here's the reason why the spirit of weariness is effective. Because when you get weary, and I'm talking on the Elijah level, look, folks, I have been there. I got so tired a year ago, I told my wife, I've got to do something different. Let me, I'm just going to quit the ministry, turn it over to somebody else, and I'm going to go be a tour guide in Israel and have fun the rest of my life. You come over there with me. We'll go 10 days. We'll tour a group. I'll hang down at Shweki's shop. I love ancient coins. I hang out and go over his coins, and I tell people I'll just have fun. I love antiquities. And I said, I am tired of the whole thing. I'm tired of putting up with stupid church people. I'm tired. I'm going to say I'm tired of putting up with liars who want to lie. I'm tired of putting up with narcissists because I No, I better shut up here. But uh, I'm just going to say I'm tired of it all. And so I've been where Elijah has been, but I'm going to tell you what happened to him. God said to Moses, He said, In Mount Horeb, somebody said Mount Horeb in the book of Exodus. God said to Moses, Come up on the top of the mountain in the cleft of the rock. I'm will quote it to you in Exodus. For there is a place by me in the cleft of the rock. Now, if you want to know why Elijah went all the way to Mount Horeb, your Bible says he went up into a cave. If you remember, God said to Moses, I can't show you my Face, But I'm going to pass by and show you my glory. When Elijah got to the same, oh, my God, help me, Jesus. Moses has thunder, and God's in it. Moses, the earth is quaking, and God's in it. Moses has lightning, and God's in it. But Elijah gets, watch this, to the same cleft of the rock. Because he knew there was a place by God at Mount Horeb. He knew if I could somehow make it to where Moses had seen God, I think I'll be all right and the Bible said the earthquake but God wasn't in it and the Bible said the mountain shook and the fire came but God wasn't in it and all of a sudden it said but a still small voice came and all he needed was not a Moses encounter because sometimes you need an anointing that breaks the yoke every now and then you need a God to come down that will shake it off of you you need a spiritual earthquake to shake you loose you need fire to burn in you to get your zeal back, and every now and then you got to get to that place in the rock, and you've got to have God touch you in a way that you've not been touched in. A- but I. I want to tell somebody that every now and then, uh, the earthquake of shaking your spirit ain't going to do it. Uh, Every now and then, everybody's full of fire jumping and hollering. It ain't going to do it. Sometimes God will say, come up here and shut up because I've got a still, small voice. Fold your arms and sit back and just let me talk to you. Just let me speak to you. You'll hear me talk. And let me tell you what, God Almighty, when he got through out out of that cleft of the rock, when he came out of God's presence, he got back to Jezreel, and he said, hey, Jezreel, I got a word from God, I've been up on the mountain, I have felt the presence of the Lord, I'm not tired like I was, I got renewed in my spirit, and I got a word for you, the dogs are going to eat your blood, the dogs are coming after you, and sheep, She knew he was a prophet of God. She knew that what he spoke happened. And may I tell you that every time an old dog would bark in the middle of the night, it would raise the hair on Jezebel's arm. Every time a wolf would howl in Samaria, Jezebel would begin to tremble underneath the covers of her bed. And Elijah was taken alive to heaven. But you hear what I'm saying? When Elisha came to power, it was then that they threw Jezebel over the balcony. It was then that the dog... Dogs ate her up, and her head was so nasty that they didn't touch her head. Her hands were so filthy by killing prophets, they wouldn't eat her hands, and her feet were so filthy from walking, the dogs wouldn't even touch her feet. But she saw her death, she saw her demise, because the prophet of God said, "I'm not going to stay depressed. Who am I talking to in this house tonight? I'm not going to stay down. I'm not going to let them discourage me, and I'm not going to let the devil wear me out. Because if I got to find a place in the cleft of the rock, I'm I'll find it, but look out, devil, when I come out. Look out, devil, when I get. Hey, hey. praise him in the house right now. Now, I'll get to the end of this vision in just a moment, but before I do, I want to talk to you about these three things. Let me talk to you about the tares. The tare is when the seed becomes mingled. The Bible says there's wheat and then there's tare. Now, I've talked to farmers from Kansas and Missouri, and I said, do you know the difference between the wheat and the tare? He said, sure you do. He said, here's what's odd. I had him tell me this. You really can't tell it's a tare when it's growing in the field because it looks so much like the wheat. But as you get close to harvest time, stay with me. There's a, one of the, one lady told me, she says, this is how we knew there were tears in our wheat field. When the wind would blow on that wheat, it would bend with the wind. But the tear just did this. It just, it just stuck right there. It was stuck and it wouldn't move when the wind was blowing. I said, I got a message right there. The wind is representative of the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2. And when the Spirit of God begins to move in the church, you'll find that the wheat will go with the flow, but the tare will sit there with their arm I ain't doing that. You ain't gonna make me worship God. I ain't gonna sing that song. I'm I'm not singing those songs. I want the read back him. That's what to do back home. I want the red back hymnal. I ain't singing that song. You ain't gonna give me to sing off a screen. God's not God's not in singing off the screen. And there's that tear, stubborn and stiff and not bending. Wheat will go, A oh, strong wind will bring the top of the wheat almost touching the ground. Worship means to kiss toward, proskuneo means to kiss toward. It mean, actually, it's to bow and kiss the emperor's ring is the original meaning in classical Greek. Bow, kiss the emperor's ring. So when you worship God, you are bowing before him, you are humbling yourself before him. So you've got to understand something about a church member that's a tear and church member that's wheat. sweet. You can tell the difference in them in the worship. You really can't. You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference in the prayer meeting. Everybody's praying and they're over there talking. Two people just talking. The Bible says they grow together in the same place, in the same field. They grow together until harvest time. time. And God says, Here's what I'll do I'll send my angels to do my work. He said, Now let me tell you, I've learned this about from experience. When you have tear or people with bad attitudes, wrong thinking in a congregation, They always intermingle themselves with wheat. And the wheat is good. But here you don't see it. You don't see it in the surface. You don't see it just looking at them. You don't just see them in a church. But they'll go out and eat and they'll go fellowship and they'll go to call people into their home and have dinner and go out to dinner. The next thing you know, watch this, the root of a tear starts getting into the root of the wheat. And Jesus knew this. If a pastor tries to deal with that tear, who's, who's a problem person, and tries to say to them, now, you're going to have to stop that. I'm going to have to remove you from your position. The moment you do, guess what they do? They, guess what the tear does? It takes all that wheat that it's been friend with in the church and starts saying, well, you ain't going to believe what the pastor did to me. You ain't going to believe how they mistreated me. You ain't going to believe how they just let The next thing you know, guess what they do? They take good people with them, and they walk outside the door. I'm preaching whether you're hearing it or not. So God says this, he said, you know what, let them just grow together because if you try to deal with it, everybody's going to get all messed up. He said, I'll deal with it. He said, I will send my angels to take the tear out, out of the field itself. Now, here's what I want to, is the one line I'm going to give you that I'm going to the, from the tear to the stones that were in the field. A tear will accept what God does not and permit what God forbids. There are churches today that are going to the very Bible that you and I read and saying ordaining men who are having relations with men is okay. I got news for you. No, it's not. Scripture does not change. And so what I'm saying is a terror will accept that. A terror will say, well, abortion's okay. It's just a, it's just a surgery. There are Christians that believe this. No, no, no. The, that infant at nine months already has its soul and spirit. It came at conception the soul and spirit is eternal. So if the life is taken by a physician or whoever it might be, then guess what happened? You just snuffed out an eternal soul that has to go back to God that never has the chance to live on earth and fulfill God's destiny. And I'm not trying to bring up memories for you women that may have had this happen when you were in sin. Because, you know, when people are in sin, they do things they wish they hadn't done, right? But my point is this, that a tear will, will allow things. And so if, you, if you're you're really people that just think, oh, that's permissible, I got, I'm free in Christ, I can do this, and it's contrary to the Bible, you might as well get out of that field and go, I'm going here where the wheat is, I'm going to go over here where the wheat is. The stones, now the stones, according to this man, were stumbling blocks. Now watch this for just a moment, if we go into the New Testament, we find out that there was a major stumbling block that hit the church, that almost split the church down the middle. Does anybody know what the stumbling block was that almost tore the church up in the book of Acts? Almost tore it. Tore it right down the middle. You have to think for a moment. You ready? And it could be several. It could be several things, but there's one in particular. Here we go. The Jews taught you are not in covenant with God unless the man has been circumcised. The foreskin of his flesh must be removed because he's not in covenant with God, because God said in the Torah that the soul that is not circumcised will be cut off. So the Jews are telling the Gentile guys. Oh, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be blunt here. It's one thing to get circumcised when you're eight days old. It's another thing to get circumcised when you're 30. I would prefer eight days old. <laughs> yeah. Abraham, you go back when God revealed it to Abraham. He's he's lining up all these older guys, and they're like this, this, this is where you look at Abraham and say, Are you sure God told you? Are you sure God told you? <laughs> And I could, I could I could give you some real heavy revelation though on uh, anyway about Ishmael and uh, I don't know. See, I'm going on this rabbit trail. Should I go on a rabbit trail now? I don't know. Do we have time? Or y'all got y'all in a hurry? <laughs> Look, the sun ain't gonna set for nine hours. Come on, somebody. I'm in Alaska. You understand what I'm saying? And ain't gonna get dark. What you gonna do? Go home, watch the sunset at one in the morning. Okay. It's really interesting that Abraham went into Hagar and had Ishmael at age 86, right? Then God waits till Ishmael is about 13, and then he says to Abraham, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have a son, all right, and you're going to have this son, and when you have a son, the sign of my covenant is circumcision. Why didn't God reveal circumcision when Abraham had Ishmael? Are you ready for this? Because if he would have circumcised Ishmael on the eighth day, the way God later demanded, Ishmael would have been forced to be the covenant son. Because circumcision was the sign of the covenant. Are you tracking with me? So he waits till Ishmael's 13. Why? Because in Judaism, 13 is when you are no longer under your father's responsibility, but you're a young man responsible for yourself. And then God reveals it to him right before, one year before, Isaac is born, he said, when you have a son, on the eighth day, you're circumcising, it is a token of my covenant. Isn't isn't that amazing? That God did it that way, understanding his own covenant. This is how it operates. That was good. Okay, now I can tell some of you didn't get it, but it's okay. Some of you men are still like, Jesus, can we get off of that subject? Come on, parrot. Okay, I'm gonna get off that subject right now. Now, I just felt a streak of glory hit my soul. Glory to his name. Hallelujah. So, Here's the thing about the New Testament. I'm talking about stumbling blocks, right? So here's, here's a bunch of Jewish guys. Here's a bunch of Gentile guys just got saved, heathen, pagan, coming to Jesus. And they said, if you don't circumcise yourself, you're not even saved. And if you go to the book of Acts and you go to Paul's letter in Galatians, the whole letter to the, to the Galatians was, why are you going back to the law your fathers couldn't even keep? You want people? He said. Paul said circumcision has to be your heart and not your flesh. He said circumcision is the of the flesh. prophet Here's a Jewish man who would have been the head rabbi of Jerusalem, according to the Encyclopedia Judaica. Paul, Apostle Paul, had he not converted, head rabbi in the city of Jerusalem, trained under Gamaliel, the top rabbi, and he's telling he's telling people circumcised profiteth nothing. Ooh, you better stir it up. That's not going, that's not what the Torah says. That is not what God said in the Torah. And Paul said, "Wait a minute, you're going back to law when we are under grace. All right so so my point is that now here's, the, here's the issue. it could have it was a stumbling block to people. It, they made it a stumbling block, and they made it an issue when you understand the new covenant. It explains that circumcision is your heart being changed. The circumcision of the flesh was the picture of what would come with the new circumcision. Are you checking out with me or checking out? Are you checking out or checking in? Hey. So in other words, it was a stumbling block that could have split the church. Now, about to go deep here. In all respect to all of us who have Facebook or YouTube or whatever, especially Facebook, you need to block some people. People will wear you out arguing with you about the rapture. Either you believe it or you don't. And if you don't, I'll kiss and wave you goodbye when I'm going up if you don't believe in it, okay? You have people that will argue. and And the Bible said this in the New Testament, avoid... Vain arguments that profit nothing. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I know it's going on the internet. Wouldn't want to offend any of my former workers, but I had a good brother who worked for us for 18 years. A good man, but he kind of believed the earth was flat, and he wanted to argue with folks about the earth being flat. Okay, my answer to him was, "Who gives a rip? It it don't have nothing to do with my salvation. It has nothing to do with my Holy Ghost baptism." It has nothing to do with me going to heaven. And so if, I, if it's flat, oh, hallelujah, praise God. NASA says it's round. Satellites have proven it's round. And so, you know, you're, some of you looking at me and you're flat earthers. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Just do me a favor. Do me a favor. Get in the ship and go to the end and just drop off and never come back. Then I'll believe it's a flat earth. So just prove it to me. I'm not, just prove it to me. I, but I, will, I will be convinced. Oh, George never came back. Well, he got in a boat and fell off somewhere in outer space. He's floating out there. he dead by now probably. Just prove it. That's all I say. I'll, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Oh, you know, I wanted to be a comedian before I was called to preach. I, I don't know if you know that or not. So anyway, so, so the point is, we don't, why argue it if it's going to, you know, all day long, everybody's going to be fussing in the office? What's the deal? I'm waiting for somebody to help me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, the stones are stumbling blocks. Now, I don't know why I'm going to share this with you, but I had this word come to me just a few moments ago and I wrote it down. So, before I go to the third one here, and we're about done with the vision, I'll get to the end of it, but let me just talk to you about something and I want you to pay very careful attention. I'm going to be careful saying this. there was someone, it was a young person, who was going to, was invited to be a part of a ministry. And my daughter knew them and said, let me just share this with you, that you have to be careful. You're young in the Lord, you have zeal, but when you go like on the road with people, you're going to see a side of people you never see. You're going to see them get angry, you're going to see them carnal. And that's kind of what happened. This person got in there and it became a little bit, we were just like really disillusioned. They did this, they were doing that, I don't understand that. We don't believe that way, I don't believe that way. Okay, I want you to remember something about the disciples of Jesus. Jesus did not always take all 12 men with him. There were two times that Jesus limited who got close to him. Ready? Transfiguration on the mountain and the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you all understand what I'm saying? At Transfiguration, nine of the men stayed at the base of the hill, and only Peter, James, and John went to the top of the hill. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he told them, Wait here, and he told Peter, James, and John, Come a little further. The Transfiguration was his glory. Gethsemane was the gore. Transfiguration was light. Brightness, excitement, revelation, Moses and Elijah. Let us build three tabernacles for you. Man, They're going into a building program. They want to to, to build three tabernacles. One, you know, Jesus, one for the Church of Jesus Christ, Church of Moses, Church of... Can you imagine? Three denominations. I'm of the holy rod. What's the holy rod? Well, you know, that's Moses. He had a rod. We got a stick hanging up in our church reminding us of the... Church of Elijah, what's in that church, man? We built a chariot. You wouldn't believe the chariot we built. We, this pastor stands up in that thing and preaches every Sunday, reminding us of the fire chariot of the world. That's what people would do. If they're in their flesh, they would do that. Not spiritual people, they would do that in their flesh. Now here's the thing. So that moment was so cool. And Jesus said, Hey, when you come off the mountain, don't tell nobody the vision that you saw. And it's like, whoa, this is so cool. We can see what we got to see that. We got to see mate. We got to see that. How can I keep my mouth shut? This is the coolest thing ever, right? Then they go to Gethsemane and they see another side of Jesus they've never seen. His sweat is becoming as great drops of blood. He is under pressure. He is in agonia. Luke says agony, agonia, which is just total, complete, utter, chaotic pressure that he's never had. And three disciples are sleeping. They sleep. Watch this. They sleep on the Mount of Transfiguration. They are sleeping in the garden. And they they're going to miss out because they're sleeping all the time. They're not paying attention to what he's saying. He said, could you not tarry an hour? What happens? He prays another hour. They go back to sleep. Could you not tarry an hour? What happens? They go back to sleep. Then watch this. Watch Peter in both examples. So Peter jumps up from his sleep. Oh, let us build three churches. Oh, my God. Oh. And God has to interrupt Peter and say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. God's voice has to tell Peter, shut up. Listen to Jesus. Nobody want to hear what you got to say. Look in Gethsemane. What's the guy do? He wakes up after Jesus praying three hours. Sees a crowd, sees torches, and watches these men. I am he. And they all fall out, and Peter said, Oh, this is so cool. We're going to take this thing over. He whips his sword out after waking up and whacks a guy's ear off his head. I mean, who needs followers like this? You'll be in the newspaper every week when you minister with these people. Disciple whacks man's ear off in anger. I mean, you know, what good? Who needs church members like this? Hello. Now, now here's my point. Here's my point. It would be easy for them to stumble, and they did. I'm gonna prove to you that they stumbled. Out of all the disciples, Judas commits suicide. John sticks with him all the way to the cross till he says, "Take Mary." And the other ten ran because they couldn't handle. A side of Jesus that they never saw, because they said he's going to be king. We're going to rule on thrones. He's going to take over the Roman government. Now listen to me, church folks. And when it didn't go the way they thought, they stumbled. Peter even said, oh, boy, "I should have preached that message." Oh, I got this message. It's crazy. But Peter said, "I go fishing." Peter's ready to go back to the fishing business. Do you understand that? Until Jesus got a hold of him there in John 21. So my point is this you will see. Now I don't know who I don't know who I'm speaking to. I think I'm speaking to someone that has you're visiting tonight and you've attended a church and you've seen things that you knew maybe weren't right or weren't done properly, and you got offended and you stumbled because of it. You will always have to see the spiritual side if you get close. If you're on a staff, oh, I had him. Listen, Pam knows this. Let me. Can I just? We all let me just preach a little bit because I, I got to get this thing out of me. I'm leaving. I'm leaving in the morning, flying back home, and I want to stay here with some good folks. Okay, you ready? We've had people come and work. We had a girl come from all over California. Was a pastor's daughter, really good, good lady, by the way, just a good lady, but she thought her day would be. Sitting around speaking in tongues, oh, yeah, yeah, eight hours a day speaking in tongues, and she didn't. She found out she had to answer the phone, and we were getting phone calls. And she had almost no break answering the phone, and then she she thought that she would say, This is the greatest ministry I've ever been. I've never been anything like it. I was bragging on this. Bra- Look out when they start doing that. So I had to tell her off one day. I preached at Jensen Franklin's for three weeks, and I went to revival, what five weeks, didn't I think? Five weeks, five and a half weeks, and I got in. And I said, y'all going to have to work. I'm behind. I'm going to tell you everything to do. And she's in the phone talking to her former pastor in California for an hour and a half. And I went her and said, get off the phone now. <laughs> you got to work. I need you working. And then she, I said, Pam. And I called her name. I said, okay. I walked in her and had to rebuke her. She's in the bathroom crying. And Pam said to me, I quote, well, you just lost her. You just disappointed her. She'll be out of here. I promise you she quit a month later. And then she said, I have never seen a side of a ministry like that. Really? Really? Oh, what? you wouldn't like Jesus taking a whip and turning the tables over. Get out of here, you sorry dog. I can't believe he lost his temper. Why would he do that? That's not Christian-like. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Do you understand something? I want you to look at Jesus. One minute he's blessing children, the next minute he's calling people sorry hypocrites. One minute he's healing the sick at the temple, and the next minute he's ch- changing, throwing tables over because those guys were ripping people off with those blemished sacrifices. So you've got to understand, it is not always they are being spiritual or they're being carnal, They're just being a person. And people will get on your last nerve. And don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. And your husband will get on your nerves. And your kids will get on your nerves. And can I tell you, there will be days that you will be like the Virgin Mary. And there will be days that you will be like Simon Peter ready to take somebody's head off. Now here's what I'm going to say. Don't get in such a high expectation of people or individuals or church people or staff. Don't don't let your expectations be so high that when something happens that you disagree with, you get stumbled by it. Preach, Perry. Thank you, I will. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Third one, missiles. What are these? Ephesians chapter 6. The fiery darts of the enemy. Now, let me explain to you. In the Roman time, the three arrows that they used—they used a normal arrow with an iron uh, head on it, uh, air, like an arrowhead, but it was it was made of iron—and that's what they used in battle in a normal battle. Second kind ready was iron, an arrow, and they would take the tip of it and dip it in a tar-like substance and light it, and it became a fiery arrow. There's a third one I found out about that's uh, it's really bizarre that they would fill the arrow inside with, with, it wasn't gasoline, but it was a combustible material. And then they would light the tip of it, and when it hit like a shield, right, it would hit a shield, it would explode and catch that shield on fire because the shields were made out of wood covered with leather. And so the guy the entire time realizes his shield is burning, so he's going to try to get the, so now he's, dis, watch, he's distracted and once he gets distracted, he turns that shield or, or see, He gets worried about two arrows are burning. Then what happens to him? He gets hit, right? He gets hit from the blind side. He gets hit from, from, He gets hit and he doesn't expect it. Now, here's what a fiery dart of the enemy is. I want you to hear this. This is going to help you. A fiery dart of the enemy is a non-normal attack, a non-normal attack, attack that is not normal to the point that it burns in your mind and spirit and you can't get it out of your head. I'll I'll give you, let me try to give you an example. Let me hold this. Okay, here's a good one. Lust of the flesh. When when a person gets into the extreme level, because lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, you all know this, all sin falls in those three categories, right? But when you have a normal, just a thought to come into your mind towards somebody of the opposite sex, it's normal to see a thought. It's normal to look at some a guy that's handsome. Boy, that guy's really handsome. My wife's never my wife's never said that about any guy. That's the truth. But it's normal for, for a guy to so look at a girl and say, "Well, that's an attractive lady." But here's the thing: when you say that, look once and don't look again. I'm really serious. Just move on, move on. Because I had a scholar say this when it says that when Jesus said, "If a man looketh upon a woman to lust in her heart, he hath committed adultery." I thought, dear God, every man in the world is committing adultery. No, because a thought comes into a person's mind. Oh, don't you act holy, you men out there. I'll come out there and preach right up where you are. Don't you act like I'm sanctified, baby. I never looked at a woman beside you. But well, you must be blind. <laughs> or, you know, I'm, I'm not being funny, but I'm being serious. Now, in the Greek, it says this. It, according to the scholar, he says it can mean this. Whoever looks upon a woman to desire her continually will eventually have an affair with her. See, it helps you understand it a little better, which means you've got to control what? Your, what you see and what you hear. So, in, in line with this, a fiery dart would be to have an attraction to someone and it burns and you can't get it out of your head. That would be a non-normal dart because what does it do? It obsesses you. When you get obsessed with something that will lead you, it could, be, it could be an addiction to pornography too. It could be an addiction to drugs. It could be an addiction to a number of things. But if you have something that it's obsessing you and you can't get control of it or you can't get out of your head, that my friend is the fiery dart of the enemy. And the Bible says, the shield of faith quenches all of the fiery darts of the enemy. And the, when a shield got dry, they did two things with it. They dipped it in water, okay, and then they put, carried a bottle of olive oil with them or oil, little bo, a little thing of oil, I say a bottle, little like a little like a skin of oil, and they would rub the shield down with it to make it subtle again where it would be soft because if you didn't do that, it would get dry and it would crack. So you got the oil and you got the water. And there's the washing of the water of the word, the renewing of the mind, and there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, so all you need is a little bit of anointed faith to take care of that fiery dart of the Come on, put your hands together one time and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's get to the end, Let's get to the end of this vision. When the, when, the, when the missiles came, when the stones came, when the tears came, the army that was marching in unity starts scattering. There would be a little pocket of people here that would be praying, just a small pocket. Then over here, there'd be two or three people that would be joined together praying. And then right in the middle of the field is somebody wounded that can't get up. And they're actually praying for them to get up. And they're just, I can't, I can't, I'm done, I'm finished. And there was just all, there was like little battle scenes across this field where the, where the vultures or the spirits had attacked. Now he said, now Perry, This I will never forget. There was an older-looking grandmother that had a huge faith shield, and she had it by both hands, and she's marching in the field to get to the end of it, and her grandchildren are behind her and said the grandchildren started playing games with these vultures. And they look up and say, hi, hi, over here, and they try to jump back behind the shield. And they say, hi, look at me, bet you can't get me. And they start playing games. You know what playing games means? Playing games with sin. And what happened was they literally got hit when they stepped out behind her grandmother's protection. But my son was addicted to drugs. The only argument, not, not an argument, but disagreement my wife has is my wife said, we need to just put him out on the, out there on his own and let him make it on his own and just hard love. And, and she knows this was the only disagreement. And I said, we're not going to do it. And I said, let me tell you why we're not going to do it. I had a friend of mine that was on drugs that said, as long as your boy is in your house, he's under your hedge. And said, if you if you turn him out, he said, I promise you the vultures and the drug dealers are going to come after him and he'll be dead in a year. They'll get him hooked. And I remember we talked about it. She says, well, oh, baby, you're right. And we, we, my boy was upstairs doing stuff. We could have killed him, and we knew it. But I told the enemy, "You're not taking my boy to hell." God didn't give me that boy for you to for you to take him out of this world that way. People die sick all the time, but he ain't gonna die addicted to you, devil. What you're doing to him? And we held on to God, and we let him live in that ba- live in that upstairs until God delivered him one day and set him free. And now he has a house built right beside of us with two grandbabies that come over. Nana pop pop, nana pop pop, nana pop pop. Hey, give God praise for your... Give God praise for my blessing and my breakthrough. Hallelujah. Number two, he saw a man to try to outrun the vultures, but he got knocked down by a stumbling stone. His shield was not up, and they devoured him. Number three, another one came across this big rock with their name. Instead of jumping over it, they saw it, but they stared at it. They fell over it, and the vultures literally began to devour the flesh because, you know, you know evils. Evil spirits are empowered by your flesh. Flesh sins. Oh, you don't want me to go there. I could tell you a hairy story on that one. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about for just a moment. There are three things the enemy will try to do. Number one is apostasy. Apostasy is a choice to willfully reject Jesus and willfully walk away from him and to become what is called a reprobate. A reprobate mind is someone that has been raised in church, but they turn into sin to a level that they love their sin, and they have no choice and no desire to come back for God. And It is the most dangerous position to get in. The second position, which is dangerous spiritually, but it's not at the level of apostasy, is what is called backsliding. It can be a choice, but it can also be caused by an attack. And that is someone that has had faith, but they've lost their faith, Something has happened, they become lukewarm, and they've turned their back on the Lord. And so what God says, remember what Jesus said to Peter? Satan has desired you that he may shift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you are, here's what he said, converted. That's weird, it's a strange verse. You know what that means? Peter backslid in his heart for just a brief period of time. He had to be converted, he had to be converted, Jesus said. And he put a self curse on himself. You know that he cursed and swore that he didn't know the Lord, etc. And the third is the stumbling block. Listen to this, Galatians 6 and 1. If a brother is overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such one in meekness. And that word overtaken is caught off guard. And, uh, okay, let me explain this to you. Okay. Two Greek words pro, which is before, lambano, to take, or to take before. Let me explain the difference to you of willful sinning and falling into a sin. Everybody ready? Say amen. Willful sinning is to premeditate and preplan to do something days or weeks in advance, and then when the time comes, absolutely do it. That's premeditated. That's willful. This Greek word overtaken in a fault, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to try to go from memory, and I hope I'm right on this, but looking at the word fault, but looking at overtaken, the picture is an elephant that a rhinoceros has taken its horn and ripped the side of the belly of the elephant and it's completely wounded and it's struggling in that, in that wound that it carries. That is the picture of overtaken, quote, overtaken in Greek, to a, uh, I think it's classical Greek, not just koine, It's the classical idea of that word. So overtaken in a fall, and I'm going I'm to just give it to you as I wrote it down here, is you did not premeditate it, you suddenly fell into it. Like, all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, something happens, and it's like, oh, my God, did I just do that, or did I just say that? So that's the difference. One is I sit down and plan weeks or months how I can do something, then I fulfill it. That's willful. That's really, that's a higher level. But to be overtaken is to all of a sudden be overwhelmed by something and fall into it. And here's what the Bible says, and everybody listen carefully. Don't be running around trying to judge somebody that had a problem because the Bible says with the same judgment you judge, it's going to come on you. This is serious. I've seen it happen to people. And it says in meekness, be meek, restore them, try to get them help, try to find out what was the root, overcome it, bring them back to the kingdom, bring them back to God, lest you also be overtaken in that same fault. So, whew, this is what the gentleman finally concluded by saying. He said, all this battle started. The darkness covered the earth. And he said the army was scattered. And all of a sudden, the remnant found each other. And it's like that group found that group. That, well, I feel the anointing when I said that. That one found that one. That, and then all of a sudden, they become this really bright, holy, washed, spirit-filled, tongue-talking army. They." He said, but it wasn't the whole army as it was in the beginning, but it was a hardcore group of people. And they dug a trench in and they said, we'll stand here and fight. And, and the enemy, and so the enemies are coming and the birds are coming. They got their shields up. They're fighting back. They're, they're praying words. Birds are flying. Devils are flying. Those, those, those vultures are beginning to dissipate. And he said he saw in the distance a man on a white horse. And he said, I don't know who it was, but it was the Antichrist. And he was about to come on the scene. And right before he came on the scene, as he starts marching in that field, that whole army stands up and starts raising their hands and praises God. And the holy city, New Jerusalem, was seen. We went up. So here's what's going to happen. God is going to find the faithful, the overcomer, and the people that's going to keep standing. And we're going to unite. There'll be Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, Pentecostals. But in you hear me? In every church, there's a remnant that sticks to their group. And God is about to say... You're going to have to get together in these last days, sit in the same building, worshiping the same God and feel the same power of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to raise up a last day army and we're going, you hear me? He said, we're going to win this thing when it's all said and done. Ha, 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 ha. We're going to win this. We're going to win this when it's all said and done. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, You can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.